0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dave and I I am the the pastor here at, at, well, one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist Church. If you call me Reverend, I will probably not respond. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> good. No, God's good. Um, I've been away for a bit. I had the privilege of travelling over to London and spending some time with some, some great leaders from around the globe in recent times. And if I'm totally honest with you, I have so much that I want to share. And so we're just believing and trusting that the Lord will just arrow those thoughts and those hearts and... Um, this morning, but we're looking at mission. We're looking at the people of mission. We've looked at the purpose of mission. We've looked at the posture of mission. We've looked at praising God. What great stories from Hohidei last week and a totally different, unusual service for us. But today we at this moment in time where we come and we look at the people of mission, looking at God's heart to release His church into His into His mandate, into His longing that His kingdom would be proclaimed, that lives would truly be brought into that beautiful, loving, redeeming, restoring relationship, fellowship with God, like the purpose of God to redeem all things and that God would use us. Um, And it's a wonderful thing, but it, it can be an overwhelming thing. You know, A couple of months ago, we were out at St. Francis Basketball Stadium, uh, because I coach basketball and coaching basically all of my children basketball along with Tim Barnett, it's great fun. We have a good time doing it. And uh, there was one particular day where Benji wasn't playing, but he was out on on the playground Uh, And he came running over to me sort of after the game, kind of laughing, he's like, oh, dad, can you believe, I'm not gonna say the actual human being's name, but we'll just call this person Alfred because that's a fun name. He's like, can you believe that Alfred doesn't believe in God? I was like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I just asked him, I said, do you know know God? He goes, what do you mean? He's like, like, do you believe in God? He goes, no, and he's like, what? He's like, how could you not believe in God? Why would you not believe in God? He goes, where do you think we came from? And this young boy, like a nine-year-old boy was like, oh, well, you know, we came from a Big Bang. And Benji said, he was, he's telling me this story. And he's laughing. He's like, can you believe that? He thinks we came from an explosion of nothing. <laughs> just laughing. I was like, what did you say? And he goes, well, where do you think nothing, like how did nothing explode? Where do, who do you think caused that? So he's just like telling me this whole story of him witnessing to this nine, 10-year-old boy just thinking, how could anyone not believe in God? And the fascinating thing about it is it seemed to have lit something in him, right? Because the very next week, Mackie Barnett runs up to me and he's like, oh, Dave, you're gonna have to try and, drag Benji away. He's just witnessing the three boys on the playground. (laughs) Just telling him about Jesus and and the gospel and who God is. Something has happened in him. And he's doing this thing. Someone has happened to him. And everywhere we go, literally everywhere we go, Benji's just, we'll meet someone and Benji say, do they know God? Do they know God? Do they know Jesus? Are they a Christian? He said the other day, is King Charles a Christian? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he goes, well, and he says, let's pray. He's in the car, let's pray. And he's like, Lord, we just pray that you'd reveal yourself to King Charles. And he says, and while we're at it, we pray for, again, I'm not gonna use real names, but we pray for Gavin because he told his daughter that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. And so we just pray for him, believe that you're gonna raise and reveal yourself to him. And we also pray for this person that you would, and he's just like everywhere he goes, he's just wanting to share the love of God. And it was in that moment I had this profound revelation that I realised my nine-year-old son has been bolder in proclaiming the Gospel than I've ever been. And I think sometimes we, we fall and we believe this lie that evangelism, that witnessing, that share, that mission, sharing the love of God with the world is for the el- spiritually elite. That it's, it's for those who have degrees, those who have reverend in front of their name, those who can go to the Greek or the Hebrew, who can talk about the tents, who can argue and debate and reason and rationalise. And yet the evidence in my own life as someone who is a professional preacher is that my nine-year-old son who does not even have his pen licence <laughs> has led more people to Christ more authentically in the last three months than I have. Hallelujah. (laughs) And so what that does is it draws a big line through that lie. And it actually tells every single person here, every person here, that evangelism has nothing to do with your qualification. Evangelism has everything to do with your heart. That we, the people of God, have been given a mission to make disciples, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, because it is good news. It is good news. Does anyone believe that in this place this morning? So it got me asking the question, and I've spent probably the last month as I've been walking and praying and walking the streets of London, which has been so, so fun, just praying and spending time with the Lord and saying, Lord, what's the secret source? What's the thing? Like light a fire in my heart. I don't want my nine-year-old son leading more people to Jesus than me. Actually, I do. I pray that for him over the course of his life that he becomes just an evangelist who just every day is winning people to Christ. But I wanna win people to Christ more and more and more. I wanna see every single person here winning people to Christ more and more and more. I'm like, Lord, what is the key that unlocks that in your church? What What is the, you know, the, and so the Lord we've been in the book of Acts we're just going to go there again is that alright the Lord sort of drew me to Acts 17 in this incredible passage with a guy who did have some qualifications a guy who did have some Capacity to go to the Greek, to go to the Hebrew. And yet the fascinating thing about what we're about to see is his witness and the power of his witness wasn't because he went to the Greek. But there's something in his life, someone in his life that changes everything. So let's have a little look at this. Let me give you a little bit of context. So Paul, Silas and Timothy are on what we would call Paul's second missionary journey, right? So they're travelling around and if you read back, they've gone to a place called Thessalonica. Everyone say Thessalonica just because it's a fun name to say and it rolls off the tongue. And so they've been, they've been witnessing, they've been sharing the good news of Jesus and they've been seeing fruit. There's good stuff's been happening. And then in the midst of that good stuff happening, there's some Jewish people, some religious folk who get a bit upset and they start, you know, rallying and rousing the crowd. They cause a riot. And so Paul, Silas and Timothy, uh, the believers gather them and say, this is like getting a bit hairy. You're gonna, we're just gonna send you down the road to a place called Berea. And we want you to go down there. So they go down to Berea. They just start sharing and witnessing and talking about Jesus. And a whole heap of people are encountering the love of God and getting saved and great stuff's going on. And so those people who caused the issues in Thessalonica hear about this and what do they do? They come on down to Berea and they start causing trouble. And the trouble is, is, gets to the point where the believers are like, this is actually getting a little dangerous for Paul because he's the leader of this group. And when you're the leader of the group, you're kind of the the tip of the spear, so to speak. So that's where the vitriol's coming. And so like, we need to get you out of this. It's time for you to have a little break. So we're gonna put you on a boat. And it's funny, the the Bible uses the word, uh, there's escort. So there's people who go with him, but they're going with him with intentionality. And by that, I mean, they're like, Paul, you have to leave and we're gonna put our arms around you in a loving way, but we're going. And we're going with you to make sure that you go. So they jump on the boat and they, they head down to this place called Athens. And so Paul is supposed to be taking a break. He's supposed to be laying low, yeah? He's supposed to be chilling out, doing some sights, saying, hey, go see the Acropolis, while you're at it, check out a few museums, go and taste the local cuisine on the streets, go for a spot of fishing. I don't care what you do, Paul, but just chill for a bit and let this whole situation de-escalate. You with me? So what does Paul do? He does some sightseeing. He goes for a walk. And while Paul was waiting for them, because Silas and Timothy aren't there yet, they're gonna come later. And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he looks around. And it says, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So, everyone say so. The inference is he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. And because he was greatly distressed, it stirred him up. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Here's what's going on. Paul comes to Athens, he looks around, he sees idols and he goes, no, I can't take a break. It's not in me. It's not in me. So I'm going to the synagogue to hang out with the religious folk and we're gonna talk about who, who Jesus is. But I'm not just gonna go there, I'm gonna go for a walk around the city and wherever I go, Whoever I meet, they're gonna hear something of who Jesus is. My question is why? Why does He do that? What causes Him? What is the so? And there's a few things that we can see, all right? The first thing that that we might think about here, the first thing we might say, well, this is why He does this, is maybe it's because He understands His calling. Maybe the reason he does this because he has this deep sense of call, that I'm called to go and do this. The problem with that, especially for us in this day and age, if you're anything like me, somewhere, between the age of about 13, when you went to Youth Alive and you heard your first Reggie Dab sermon talking about God knows the plans He has for you, plans to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You've got a call on your life. You've got to do something for Jesus. And you hear those messages and you're like, yeah, I'm called, come on. And then you went up to year 11 or 12 and you're in a careers lesson and they're talking about, you've got to figure out the rest of your life so you can go to university and get a job and it's better if you know what you're called to because then it will be a joyful job. And somewhere between that, Reggie Dab's message, anybody? (laughs) And the careers lesson, we believe this lie that calling equals vocation. Can I just teach for a second? Your calling is not to a vocation. Biblically speaking, your calling is to a promise. Calling is not about what you do. Calling is a relation, relational drawing to something God has already done. Look at Ephesians, go, like, I wish we had time. Go to Ephesians chapter three, because this is big on Paul's heart in trying to get the Ephesian church to understand this whole concept of calling. Because in chapter four, he's talking about we're all ministers, right? In three, listen to how Paul explains his, his, what God's causing him to do. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. What we do that God has charged us with is a gift. It's an administration of grace. So preaching, politics, teaching, plumbing, business, medicine, lawyering, (laughs) is that a word? Like, keep going, like, whatever it is, this is that whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, there are gifts that God has given you. There's a grace God has given you for a vocation, and it is a joy and it is a blessing, it's a wonderful thing. But the calling of God is irrespective of that gift and that grace. So, He has an administration of grace that was given to Him that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles, us, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The promise, in Christ, the promise that we would be united to God's eternal glorious plan to dwell with His people, to have relationship with His people, the Eden ideal, the promise that was given to Abraham that he was gonna do this. The promise given to Moses that he was gonna do this. The promise given to David that he was gonna do this. The promise fulfilled in Christ that all people in Christ would be drawn unto God. And that is the call of God to humanity. Listen, he finishes it in chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord then, after talking about this this beautiful gospel reality, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's not talking about a job, he's talking about a a relationship to Christ. Are you with me? The way we express this, if we can put that slide up, we talk about a calling to discipleship, a calling to a life in Christ. This life that begins with this deep understanding that in Him I belong, that He has done the work. He has set me free. He is the one who has initiated faith. I belong to Him. He has made a way and it's in that revelation of belonging in Christ that that faith starts to grow. Believing, I believe that truth. And that truth begins to change us and we we begin to become more and more like Christ, the one who has drawn us and called us and that unleashes us to this incredible longing to build His kingdom. And it's in serving as a part of that, it just affirms that incredible belonging we have in Christ and belonging we have with one another which further takes us, and we just go in this deep cycle. That's what we talk about, the cycle of discipleship. That is the call. The call is to discipleship. And what we do is a grace. And God has graced and gifted each person here with different passions and different zeals and different capacities different areas of influence. And when we know that we are called to make disciples, it means wherever we go in any of those spheres, in any of those areas, instead of it being, well, I call, I'm called to do this and therefore I'm not gonna do that. No, I'm called to discipleship and therefore wherever I go, disciples are gonna be made because I'm with Christ and where I go, Christ is going before me and where Christ enters a room, everything changes. Amen? So we could say it's because he understands his, his calling because when Paul walks into Athens, he looks around and he sees a city full of idols and what happens to him in that moment is he's like, no, that's not what you're called to. Yeah? He doesn't walk in and say, well, that's who you are. And I don't want to offend anyone, so I'm just gonna leave you right there in your happy place and go about my business and I'll go and fish off the coast of wherever. Don't know my Greek geography well enough. But no, he looks around, he sees a city full of idols and it breaks his heart because he understands something not just of his calling but God's calling for humanity that they would have right relationship with the Lord and that relationship only comes in Christ. So wherever he goes in that city, whether it's the synagogue or whether it's the marketplace and the fish and chip shop, he is like, I'm gonna just have a conversation. And the question he asked, probably, I don't know, but I wonder if it's not too dissimilar to Benji where he's like, do you know God? I think we overcomplicate evangelism. We overcomplicate mission. And if I could title this message something and maybe we could simply just call it, do you know God? What if we were equipped with one little phrase and each of us at one point this week asked that question of someone? Do you know God? Who knows what will happen? You might end up with a circle of 10 year olds around you sharing the gospel. Do you know God? Maybe it's because He understands His calling. Maybe because He understands his context. See, so he understands something of his call, understands something of the call for humanity, but he also understands the context which he's in, doesn't he? And it informs the way that he ministers, it informs the way that he shares. Like, have a look at this. So he's, he's going along and he's like, Men of Athens, I see that you, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Let's read from verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus because he gets invited after sharing to this place called the Areopagus where they talk about ideas. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Listen, underline this. You ready? Underline this. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. He understands his context. He understands that he's in a city of people hungry for truth. He understands that he's in a city of people who long to worship something, but they're ignorant of the one thing, the one person who can actually set them free. Friends, we need to understand something of our context. I'm about to preach, right? We need to understand something of our context right here, right now. We in the West are closer now to an early church, to a Book of Acts context than we have been almost since that exact time. We are returning to a pagan culture. We are going to understand, Stephen Foster, who I had the privilege of spending some time with in the last couple of weeks, was blowing my mind as we were talking about culture and context and evangelism. He was sharing, he's at Oxford University. Now Oxford University is literally the hub of atheism, right? There's one place that, will, that with Christian University, one place. They said that 1% of people would dec- profess faith in Christ. 1%. He said they've seen more salvations in the last six months than they've seen in the last 10 years because they're down to 1%. And he talked about this. He said that there's three contexts. There is a Christian context, culturally, a Christian context, which is basically everyone's Christian. Kind of what you see in the South of America at the moment. Everyone's Christian, which means everyone goes to church. But it actually makes evangelism difficult because what happens is that we grow in complacency and people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. The lifestyle is far from a lifestyle chasing after Jesus, but I know the stuff. So it's here, but not necessarily here. And so it's a different way that we have to minister. So in America, they're facing a different battle because they still exist in the South in a Christian context. He then said, there's a post-Christian context which is where your culture has kind of moved on from everyone being Christian and you're like in this place where the church is sort of being pushed to the margins of society, which is probably a little similar to where we're at in Australia right now. But the problem with when we buy into post-Christian context, who's with me, who's okay with a little bit of a lesson on a Sunday morning, is what we do is the church begins to look inward because we want to protect what we had. So we spend our days going, looking back, going, oh, how can we get back to that? That was the, that was the dream, the Christian context. So I want to go back and I want to, hold on, what happens is instead of looking out, we look in and because we look in, we go up in age. If a church wants to die, do nothing. It's done it for a long, long time. This is one of the things we were talking about over there. The Church of England's been around for, you know, a thousand odd years. And it's pretty well in one half dead. And yet, now God is doing a new thing. And I'm believing that we are, it's time to enter a new day. We have to get out of a post-Christian mindset. We have to get out of that space where we're, we're looking back on, oh, I wanna protect and I wanna hold and I wanna, we spend our days just making sure everyone's okay, everyone's feeling all right, no one's been offended. So we huddle around each other. Are we meeting everybody's needs? Are we doing everything for just everyone in here? But then our focus instead of being out is inward and what happens is unintentionally, we actually begin to die but that's not the call of God for His church. We've got to realise a post-Christian context, we've got to step out of that and view our world in a pre-Christian context. And a pre-Christian context says, there is an entire world here who doesn't know the Lord. Do you know, I met someone just recently having a conversation with them and they were telling me, like we talked about Jesus, and he's like, what, Jesus? I was like, yeah. And he was super interested. But like, I was like, have you, like you've heard about Jesus? He goes, well, I've, like people say his name is a swear word, but I know nothing about him. I was like, what do you mean? Like surely someone, surely somewhere you've heard about something of Jesus. He goes, never. I have no, no friends, no, like no one has ever mentioned his name in a positive, mind. We've, I've never talked to anyone ever about Jesus. And I was like, <laughs> we have to understand that's the world that we're living in now. Do you know over there, 1% of people, 1% of people attend church, but a survey went out and it said between the ages of 18 and 25, 80% if asked would come to church. All right, one person said, well, let me say it again, because you clearly didn't get it. 1% of people profess faith in Christianity, but 80% of people aged between 18 and 25, if invited, would say yes to hearing about the gospel. (laughs) Why? Because they've never heard about Him before. And if the church would stop looking inward, protecting what it's had and start looking outward and saying we need to go outward in focus and downward in age, We need to intentionally, ferociously and vigorously raise up the next generation. Because it's the young people who are hungry for truth. It is our 14 to 25 year olds whose minds are being filled with trash left, right and centre And they're just being told lie after lie after lie about their identity, about their gender, about what is true and not true. And they're getting sick of it. This is what, the more I talk to people, the more I'm hearing, there is a growing hunger for truth because when you are fed crud and pig scraps, I'm gonna use those words instead of the word I wanna use, for long enough, you get sick of it because God has put eternity in the hearts of human beings. And more and more when we're filled with nonsense, we begin, something stirs within us that says, there's gotta be more to life than this. This is the story of the prodigal son that spends enough time in pig scraps and goes, is this all there is? And if the church would get out of its pews or its white seats and its inward focus and we would be the church and we would go to the world and just say, do you know God? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? And begin just to walk into rooms in our calling knowing that Christ goes before us. He will do the work. We had a young fella walk in those doors probably a month or something ago. Never heard Christ, gave his life to the Lord, going to get baptized in a couple of weeks because he's hungry for truth. There are thousands of people in our neighborhood who are hungry for truth. Does it break our hearts? Do we look at the world and see a world full of idols? So we go. See, there's these two things, right? Understanding our calling, understanding our context. And I was getting fired up about that. Like, yes, Lord, yes, that's it. That's the secret source. And then God smashed me. So I was like, how do we mobilise people into that? I can preach with all of my heart and I have for like seven years. And I realised for Paul and I realised for Benji, the only way the church is mobilised is not just understanding it's calling, and not just understanding it's context, but it's in knowing it's king. I was sitting on a train with a friend, a new friend, because I love meeting new people. And the train got stopped. we was supposed to be an hour trip, we we're on the train for four hours because someone was trying to jump in front of the train. He was having a bad day. And so they stopped all the trains until the police had caught this person. So we're on a train for four hours, sitting there meeting people, chatting, having a great time. And I got into this great chat with a pastor over in Perth. His name's Dean. He's a wonderful man of God. We need to pray for him and his wife because she's been diagnosed with terminal breast cancer. Lord, heal her in Jesus' name. And we're chatting about the things of God and just this amazing conversation. He and I, probably an hour And then over the course, four hours is a long time, right? So over the course of those four hours, the the conversation went from King Jesus to King James. And we were talking about LeBron and the Lakers, the NBA, the finals, and the most fascinating thing happened. There was three people who, as soon as they heard the name King James or LeBron, got up out of their chair, walked into our little space, sat down and with such excitement began to participate in the conversation. And I thought, huh, isn't that fascinating? Why did they engage? Why did they get so stirred up to want to be a part of this? And it's because deep down, they loved LeBron. They knew, they had studied him, they watched him, they adored him and because they adored him, they could not help but talk about him and engage with him. And it occurred to me in that moment that the reason the church is not fulfilling its call is simply this, we don't know him. Maybe we have known him. Maybe we know about him. But we we don't know him. Because if we did, if we truly had a, a, an understanding of who he is, not just an understanding, but a knowledge, the word there is this word genoisko in the Greek, so I had to go there. But it means intimate knowing. Not knowledge, just up here. It means intimate knowing, and it's the same word they use for marriage. It's an intimacy. If, if, if the church truly had an intimacy with the King, the true King, everything would change. And as I was sitting there reflecting on this, the Lord actually dropped a picture in my mind because I was—it broke me. It just broke me. I, as he, oh, there's so much I wanna share, but I can't. I'll just fast forward and get to the image and we'll come back to it another time. But the image he gave me was that from those stairs all the way up there, a red carpet was rolled down through the doors all the way down to the centre aisle. As I was sort of saying, you know, just God, we have to do this and I've gotta do that and I've gotta do this and I've gotta be here. And, And I felt like he said, I didn't ask you to do any of that. All I want you to do is roll the red carpet out for me. Roll the red carpet out for me. Honour me as king. Take the time. Bring the church to that place. Roll the red carpet out. Exalt me for who I am. Meet with me. Know me. And I will build my church. Because that's what I promised to do in my word, you idiot. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. <laughs> you forgot that I'm the one who builds my church. Not you. I do. And all through, just all through the New Testament, I went back, what did people do? Like Andrew, he brought them to Jesus. Jesus changed their hearts. Brought, what does Paul do in this passage? I'm gonna proclaim to you, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. What does he do? He introduces them to Jesus. There's no debating, there's no arguing, there's no program, there's no five-step thing to life transformation. There's no self-help book, best-selling, Netflix documentary. Introduce them to Jesus and let him do His thing. And do you know what the best part about it is? We don't do it alone. He's given us his spirit. So he's actually said, you know what? I'm going to even, like, I'm going to even just empower you to wait on me because in your own flesh, you're gonna wanna run away. But the Spirit has come to reveal everything that Jesus has said, to teach us all that Jesus has said, to put a Spirit in us that will glorify the Son. He's going, I'm giving my Spirit to you. I'm going to empower you to honour me and glorify me and live for me. And I will then build my church by my Spirit. He's like, roll the red carpet out for me. And let me build my church. And then I was drawn to Second Timothy 1 and just this one phrase, when you look at Paul, why did Paul do what he do? Do what he do? <laughs> why did Paul do what he did? And I think this phrase summarises everything. The last letter he ever wrote, remember. The very last thing he will ever say before he is a martyr in the church. To a young guy, because he understands the context and he understands the need to raise up the next generation, to let go of the keys and to let the next generation drive the car. He understands that, and a part of his charge to Timothy, he says, For I know whom I have believed. Do you know God? I know I long to get to the end of my days and ferociously, without any shadow of a doubt, be able to declare that. For I know whom I have believed. He is not a literary figure that I have studied. He is not an ancient myth that I have been enamoured by. He is not a guru who has great teaching about the way we live our life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He has come that we might have life and life to the full. And when we capture that and when we know that, it changes everything. For I know whom I am have believed. And we're gonna finish and we're gonna pray and we're gonna open up space this morning because this is what I sense. Galatians 5, Paul writing to the church says this, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. My brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Did you hear that? Stop carrying the weight of evangelism. Start carrying the glory of God. Evangelism will happen. If there's one thing that God slammed me with over the last few weeks, that is it. And honestly, it's like... I feel like I've met Jesus all over again. I'm being very reserved today. Stop carrying the weight of evangelism and start carrying the glory that is mine to give to you. He has given us His glory. He just wants to be enthroned upon our hearts, church. That's it. He just wants to be enthroned upon our hearts. And then in whatever you do and wherever you go, He will build His church in and through you. He will, He will. I promise you, I promise you. Can I share one more thing? Is that all right? One more vision? Because I'm sitting there in this worship time and I, and I had this picture that I was standing there surrounded by a sea of faces and I could look up and I could see the mountaintop where I knew that was where I had to go. But every time I looked down to try and see the path, it was just like faces right here all around and noise, so much noise, just like yelling. It was like, I can't can't see the path. I can't see how to get there. It was like this intense moment. And then I got prayed for by someone, a, a dear old man in his 80s, who's been an incredible, incredible servant of the kingdom. And he gave me some time and I shared sort of what's going on in my own life and what's happening in our church. And he held my hands and he looked deeply into my eyes and he said, David, stay close to Jesus. That's it. Stay close to Jesus. In that moment, it was kind of like the faces, the noise kind of ceased. and It was like this gap opened up and you could begin to see the path. Friends, that's, that's who we are and who we're gonna be. A church that rolls the red carpet out for the Lord, proclaims His goodness. And my prayer for every single person here is that you would know God So the next time you're swinging on a swing or doing whatever it is that you do, the burning question on your heart for the person next to you is, do you know God? Because He has done so much in your life. So let's stand to our feet. A moment to respond and to pray. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And that prayer is Come, Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates Christ in our hearts, who reveals the love of Christ to us. Apart from Him, we will never have that full revelation. And as we pray this, this is what's been on my heart this week. You know, you remember Keith Green's song? Replace the lamp of my first love that once burnt bright and clear, all with holy fear. One of those. You remember that song? That's what's been on my heart. And I just sense that maybe you are feeling like I was feeling. Feeling overwhelmed, feeling burdened, feeling like there's so much noise, feeling like I wanna love Jesus, but I'm battling, I'm tired, I'm feeling pretty burnt out. And maybe God wants to breathe on the flame. If I know He wants to breathe on the flame. each one of us would truly know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, that each one of us would have power together with all the saints to know how high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord because it is his love it is his revelation it is all that he has done to know him that will change everything it'll change everything and i'm believing god wants to encounter us today christ wants to be enthroned upon our hearts today the spirit wants to come and minister to our hearts today so wherever you're at if you're feeling dry if you're feeling distant if you're feeling like you're ready to give up you don't even know why you're here because you're like, I'm pretty well done with this whole faith thing. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It's time for a fresh wind. It's time for a fresh breath. It's time for renewal. It's time for a new picture of who He is and to walk in the beauty of all that He has done. It's time to let go of the pressure. It's time to let go of expectation. It's time to let go of fear of man. It's time to let go of everything and to pick up Christ, to honour Him, to roll the red carpet out for Him in our hearts and entrust everything to Him and say, Lord, light the lamp in my first, of my first love. And He'll take care of the rest. I honestly believe that. So I'm gonna pray and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna move these chairs and we're gonna create, yeah, let's move them. And we're gonna create space for people to come. And maybe you want actual laying on hands prayer. We'll do that. Maybe you wanna sit. In worship, we'll do that. you wanna kneel down, you'll do that. But whatever it is, it's a sign for you to respond practically, physically, because there's something about that. To say, Lord, I need a fresh breath. Reveal yourself to me. And we're gonna create that opportunity. And guys, guys, while that, just look at me, especially the men you have been on my heart this week. I've been praying for you, the men, young and old, because when the men catch fire, the world changes. Ladies, yes, you're awesome too, but I have to be obedient with what God's put on my heart. Men, you are strong, You are sturdy, you are reliable, you are diligent, you are faithful, but you know that you are not on fire. And God wants to meet you where you're at. It is okay to be vulnerable. It's you and Jesus. He has your family. He has your future for those of you who have no family. Come to Him. I'm right here with you, boys. This has been my month. Let's respond. Let me pray. Lord, oh, how we love you. God, I can't explain you. I can't articulate in my own eloquence the magnificence of who you are and what you have achieved. But I know that by your Spirit, you not only can but you will because you're good and we invite you now to come and reveal Christ be enthroned upon our hearts change us Lord that this place would look unlike anything else that this place would become a pure, spotless bride, that this place would become a haven where sinners are set free in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.